1: Let's take a look at those meme stocks. I mean, again, when I think about the beginning of the meme stock uh, mania, if you will, it was a lot of smaller cap, mid-cap stocks, high short interest, uh, and easy for these Reddit traders to kind of force a short squeeze, if you will, and it was really exacerbated by social media, but. It seems to have broadened out a little bit from that limited kind of scope. Barry, uh, Bailey Lipschultz, equities reporter for Bloomberg News, joins us on the phone here. Bailey, thanks so much for joining us here. The meme stock craze, it was there. It kind of went away. I'm thinking GameStop and things like that. But it's come back. What's what's going on these days?
3: Well, the biggest difference we're seeing now compared to where it was uh, back in early January or into late January, really, has been kind of this incessant desire to find the next hot stock, and we're seeing that with hedge funds dipping their toe into it. Obviously, people on Reddit or Stock Twits, or especially Twitter these days, um, are pumping up their newest bets. Um, it's It's been really interesting just because it's we're seeing one stock really pop off for a day or a week, and then very quickly the scope tends to shift, which is uh, obviously, again, very different than what we saw in late January where GameStop, AMC, Cost, Express were all kind of mimicking each other.
2: By the way, is that the order now is Twitter um the king of locations for the meme stock mafia and then stock twits and then Reddit? I mean, how should we follow this best?
3: I think it still probably goes Reddit, Twitter, then StockTwits. Twitter, though, definitely has become more and more popular simply because of the way the platform's laid out and the ability to follow um, individual accounts that may have more insight or perceived insight than others. Reddit still kind of is a wild, wild west where there's a mega thread and a lot of GameStop being pushed. Um, and then I would say StockTwits probably is third in line, but we're definitely seeing more of a, more of a focus on Twitter Um, Over the last, you know, month or so just because I again, I think that the layout kind of amends itself more toward a average gambler or an average investor, excuse me, or some
2: average gambler. I I think average gambler is fine. Yeah That's fine. (laughs) I think (laughs) even the apes would be fine with that
1: (laughs) So Bailey talk to us about like I'm starting to see some more reporting that. It's not just the retail investors or, you know, the Dave Portnoy's of the world from Barstool Sports, who's got a big uh, social media following, but it might actually be some professional investors, hedge funds getting in it. Do we have evidence that... Goldman's got an algorithm. What's that? Goldman's got an algorithm. An an algorithm, right. So, I mean, what's the role of the professional investor in here, Bailey?
2: I think they're kind
3: of picking off where they can make money. Obviously, if you just look at alone, some of the trading volume in these stocks, it's kind of hard to sit back and argue that a retail crowd is able you know, to trade f- hundreds of millions of shares of AMC while also investing in Wendy's and other parts of the market. So I do think, and we have been hearing more and more that hedge funds have to be playing some part in this, especially when you look at kind of some of the call option trading and the underlying stock trades, it can't really be in the consensus that I've been hearing more and more um, from my sources is that it can't really be just a coordinated retail attack. It has to be folks on Wall Street, your professional traders who are kind of jumping in on these trades and whether they're getting in earlier or later, continuing to help ride some of the momentum are definitely playing a part.
2: I'm waiting for a hedge fund to embed people on Wall Street bets, you know, I saw, (laughs) The other day, somebody posted a screenshot of his TD Ameritrade account with a $1 million investment in a meme stock. And I thought, oh, this has got to be a hedge fund dude who just <laughs> wants to, to pretend he's, he's among the masses and try and speak as insensitively as he can to, to stir up some drama around um, his stock. Also, they don't want to call it a meme stock. I, I know a lot of people on Wall Street Best now are saying, hey, Corsair's not a meme stock. That's not fair. Do you hear that a lot, too? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think you're seeing a divide. I remember I wrote something. We, we
3: mentioned uh, Build-A-Bear in the meme stock basket uh, back in January, and the amount of people who emailed me saying, Build-A-Bear is not a meme stock. It has a <laughs> solid core business, and we're fundamentally long it. I think it, the, the term meme stock gets thrown around a bit, and depending on who's investing in the company or what the company is, definitely does trigger pushback um, because they don't want to group you know some of these other companies with, the likes of you know an amc trading at the market cap it is at now yeah. or something like express
2: it is definitely fascinating bailey thanks so much for joining us bailey Lipschultz, equities reporter for bloomberg news i tell you, you can lose time i went on wall street bets the other day and i looked up and all of a sudden an hour had passed it was like <laughs> i was playing red dead redemption 2 or something
4: success is more than the final destination it's a path you take one step at a time it's discipline Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
5: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
1: When Chairman Powell does speak this afternoon at 2.30 Wall Street time, which Bloomberg will bring to you live, investors will be focusing on uh, many topics, but clearly inflation is top of the list. as the Fed chairman continue to believe that the inflation we are seeing in this economy is transitory or is it perhaps something more uh, that will certainly be key. Let's check in with Marcus Schomer. He's a chief economist for Pine Bridge Investments. Marcus, I'd love to get your thoughts here on inflation um, and how you're viewing it and, and maybe what we might hear from Chairman Powell on this issue.
6: Uh, well, I, I, uh, it's nice to be back on the show Um and you know those are the themes that I talk to a lot of our clients about as well. Um, I, I don't think we're going to hear much from from the Fed and from Powell today. I think they they still have enough time to hide behind the transitory fence that they've uh, built around this issue. Um, I, I've sort of been quite critical of this because we're seeing inflation everywhere, right? And we shouldn't forget what the Fed is doing is they're choosing the smallest, narrowest, and slowest inflation measure that we have where everywhere else outside of the PCE deflator which they prefer as the inflation measure in CPI and PPI in financial markets and the housing market everywhere else inflation is running much much higher than what they measure um but we kind of know that they're hiding behind uh, this this uh, CPI, this PCE Have deflator and they back themselves into
2: a corner Marcus I mean <laughs> no, that's I what a lot think- of people are starting to say you know they they can't nope. get out now without roiling markets
6: I don't think it's a corner. I think they don't see it that way. They want to be there. I mean, I think what they're telling us is actually honest. They think running the economy hot is a good idea, whereas if you look at the economy, I'm not so sure that it is such a good idea because I start to see more and more signs that – Rising inflation, rising prices are now slowing growth, because that's also the answer to this question, is inflation transitory? And in my view, inflation is always transitory if it doesn't also translate into higher wages, because if prices go up, purchasing power goes down and consumption will slow. And I think that's what what we're starting to see. Mm -hmm. I'm getting more nervous about the growth outlook in the U.S. in the second half because of the surge in prices that we've seen and the lack of follow-up in wages.
1: So, Marcus, but as you were suggesting here, wage inflation, we haven't generally seen it. And even before the pandemic, when we were running at you know, effectively, you know, full employment, wage inflation was only, you know, three and a half percent. I mean, it, it, that, that didn't seem too terrible. Do you think wage inflation is a material risk for this U.S. economy?
6: Um, no, I think it's, it's the opposite, right? If we were to get wage inflation, then this growth story can continue, we would have a different narrative then. We would have we'd have to talk about you know, too much inflation and too much growth potentially, and that would be a problem for the Fed. But I think what we're seeing right now is Prices are going up because we have supply issues and we have this stimulus fuel demand surge at the same time, but wages are not keeping up. So consumer purchasing power is going down. Real incomes are declining, and that will slow growth in the second half, and that, I think, feeds very well into that position the Fed is in. They, they don't care about the inflation. They want interest rates to stay low, and if the economy actually slows a little bit in the second half, that plays perfectly into their narrative, and they're going to be sitting there doing nothing, I think, for the rest of the
2: year. So Mohamed el Arian writes um, a piece for us today. He basically says what the Fed should be doing is start now reducing exposure to a more risky posture by moving forward with a partial pivot. I'm quoting directly from his op-ed in light of the change circumstances, thereby keeping their options open and better balancing risk. Um, and and But that's not what they're going to do. And he says that really they risk both an economic recession and financial market instability, especially the latter, Marcus. The concern that financial market instability is one of the big risks is something we're hearing echoed across global Wall Street because, you know, with rates this low, everybody gets such cheap money. You know, junk uh, bonds are trading at their tightest spreads. In all time, and um, it just seems like, you know, uh, ratings agencies are coming out, upgrading everybody because they don't have to pay very much to service this debt. But meanwhile, leverage is growing and growing and growing.
6: Isn't it a worry? I, I think it should be a worry on the Fed's radar screen. That's true. But I think Mohammed or is still looking at the old world, right? Remember a couple of years ago when Janet Yellen when was raising rates, the argument was well, we need to raise rates so we can cut them again, right? We need to sort of refill the arsenal so we can do something in the next crisis. The power fed doesn't think that way at all. They think right now we're fine. We're only going to do something if there really is a problem on the horizon, then we will change. So where we are today is normal, is neutral. This is where we're going to stay until something changes. There's no idea that, oh, if things are not so bad anymore, we need to go back to something as neutral. That's not the way Powell, the power fed looks at it. So I I think we will get... Nothing from the Fed for the foreseeable future.
1: Marcus, just real quick, thirty seconds here. Um, mm-hmm. Do you? Is I mean, how do you view GDP for the remainder of this year and next year? What's your forecast?
6: Well, I actually think we're we're gonna. That's why I was saying earlier, I think there's a bit of a downside risk emerging here for GDP. Um, but, you know, the, the numbers are so high, so much above what, what's normal, what we all think is sort of the underlying potential growth rate, whether it's going to be 5% this year or 6% or 7 that's sort of the range of all the forecasts. Our number is 59 but I, I don't have a lot of confidence in that number. Next year's number will also be significantly above potential. I think that's all that matters.
2: All right, Marcus, thanks very much for joining us. Marcus Schomer there, chief economist at Pine Bridge Investments, talking to us about the Fed. We're all going to be watching. There's special coverage starting today at 1.30 p.m. Wall Street time with Tom Keene and Lisa Obramowitz. This is Bloomberg. I want to bring in uh, Daniel Martino Booth. We've been waiting to hear from her all day. CEO and director of intelligence At Quill Intelligence, a former advisor of the Dallas Fed, also a Bloomberg opinion contributor, and she's got a lot to say about what we should expect today. Danielle, um, there has been a brewing, uh, I I guess, uh, uh, a brewing opinion um, anti to the Fed, uh, to the Fed's uh, outcome-based framework. Coming from Peter Hooper at Deutsche Bank, Andy Haldane at the Bank of England, now from Mohamed al Aryan as well though he's been writing about this for a while, saying that they're they're really taking a huge risk and really getting into danger by sticking to um, this policy of of watching and waiting for inflation transitory so they say to 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 go back away what do you think
7: uh, well um, I think you have to look at at the fact that the Fed is taking comfort from certain silos, if you will, of inflation. If you look at the CRB index, for example, it's down on the week, And we've, we've seen the number of commodities that are rising come down appreciably. So the Fed's going to take comfort in that pocket. On the other hand, we're seeing the, the kind of inflation that becomes sticky becomes very problematic. Zillow reported that rents are up two-plus percent. Uh, in, in May over April in the, in the largest cities, uh, largest the, the top eight cities of the, uh, uh, in, in the United States it were 15%. So if this starts to percolate through, it's the largest input to inflation, the Fed's going to have a serious problem on its hands, especially because it's playing chicken with the, 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 the millions of people who are slowly flowing back into the labor pool. That that process won't end, if you will, until after schools have fully reopened and the supplemental unemployment benefits have have fully expired nationwide.
1: So, Danielle, before I ask this next question, I have to preface it by saying you are the author of a book entitled Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. So my question is, has the Fed – I mean, are they basically done? Should they just step away here and say, okay, we did our job here. Now we're going to let this economy – kind of go on its own?
7: I think that if the Fed was to do a full rip-off the band-aid approach, that the harm that would be created given stocks remain in the 99th percentile historically would would, would do more damage than they're acknowledging that inflation has become problematic. They have a very elegant solution, however, and that is that they can pull back from their mortgage-backed securities. Okay. Uh, It's become very damning optically. The housing market no, nobody doubts that housing has run off the rails and they could say you know what we and, and, and in fact yesterday the new york fed released uh, a statement saying that they were going to be test driving they're going to be testing out selling outright selling mortgage-backed securities uh starting next week
2: um will that do anything to help the housing market
7: well it, it, if the housing market has overheated right Too much stimulus or too little stimulus can break housing. And that's what we've learned in the current episode, that too much stimulus can actually break housing. So if the objective is to take some of the heat out of the market, you would certainly do that by reducing those mortgage-backed securities markets and getting the Fed out of the mortgage market.
1: Danielle, how do you view the labor market here, you know, where the jobs – uh, that have been added have been over the last couple of months have been less than expected, and uh, you know, I presumably that gives the Fed some more leeway to kind of stay on the sidelines here. The the risk of wage inflation presumably is 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 not necessarily front and center. How do you view the labor market?
7: So again, I, I think that it is a wait and see. We are seeing uh, the unemployment rate in these states that are pulling out, or four, four states last Saturday, eight states this coming Saturday, twenty five total between now and. And, and July 19th, we are seeing a- activity and movement move up in these states in the, in, as these labor pools are replenished. We're also seeing teenagers pour into the labor market at, at the fastest pace since, I think, 2008. I mean, it's a magnificent number. And that, that's great for teens. They're going to make a ton of money this summer. Making, my, my 17-year-old was offered $18 an hour just yesterday. <laughs> wow. So basically doing nothing um so because it's it's the low skilled work that needs to be fulfilled and people aren't factoring in the fact that it's not just people going from say an average of 630 to 330 a week in unemployment benefits if they're on extended state the gig workers the 1099s the contract workers if these states are pulling the plug early they they run their safety net goes away completely and you have rental eviction moratoriums that are expiring also at the end of june so you know, I I think the Fed's wait and see on wage inflation is appropriate for a little while longer until we know what the labor pool really, what the population of the labor pool truly is here in the coming 12 weeks.
2: I think you're underestimating the skills of your (laughs) 17-year-old. I just want to quickly ask you.
7: He he can fly a plane. Oh, that's good. All
2: right. Airlines need pilots. uh, Then he should be getting paid more. I I, I just want to quickly ask you, we only got about 30 seconds here, but I've been watching the reverse repo facility with wide eyes. Is it really that big of a deal, or and what's happening there?
7: So, you know, it would be that big of a deal had we not had yesterday, dot, dot, dot. And one data point does not make for a trend, but the fact that we came down from 584 to 509, as the Treasury's checking account that's held at the Fed, if you will, is depleted as we as we head into the end of July when they want to get that balance down to 500 Billion dollars. Uh, I think that as long as we see these numbers continue to come down, they might pop back up. By the way, going into quarter end, they always do, window dressing purposes. But as long as we see that it's, it's right. coming back down, then the Fed can claim it's purely mechanical in nature. If it keeps going up, that starts to flash credit risk.
1: All right, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate getting uh, your thoughts on this Fed day. Danielle DiMartino, Booth, CEO and Director of Intelligence at Quill Intelligence and a former advisor at the Federal Reserve of Dallas, and a Bloomberg opinion contributor. We'll have more coming up. This is Bloomberg.
4: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
5: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
1: Well, the metrics as it relates to vaccines, they remain positive here in the U.S., the reopening is, uh, continues to accelerate. We saw the state of California fully reopened. New York yesterday fully reopened, uh, joining a, a number of other states. So the question is, how do you play that in the stock market? Scott Wren, Senior Global Market Strategist for the Wells Fargo Investment Institute joins us. Scott, thanks so much for for joining us here. You know, love to get your thoughts on kind of your positioning in the equity markets here. We've, you know, had this rotation trade into Uh, Let's call it some cyclical names, some smaller cap names, some names that might benefit from, you know, a reopening economy They performed so well and perhaps even outperformed, you know, some of the tried and true growth stocks, the Amazons, the Apples of the world that have been such good performers really since the financial crisis of uh, 12 years ago. How do you kind of think about, you know, your portfolio construction talking to your clients? Well,
5: Paul, I think you have to you have to say to yourself, is this recovery in the early stages, which we think it is? Uh, do we think it's going to be a global recovery? We do. Um, so we've been leaning toward these more cyclical areas, these more cyclical sectors like you know financials, industrials, materials. As a matter of fact, just about oh, a month ago or so, we downgraded. Uh, tech. uh, We downgraded consumer discretionary, and we had been overweight those two sectors for a long, long time. So we want, you know, growth's going to have to participate here if the market's going to do what we think it's going to do over the next six months or 18 months. So we have a full allocation to tech, which is about 26 percent of the market cap of the S&P 500. But we have been been basically leaning toward those sectors uh, Energy is included in that communication services um, materials uh, that we think are going to to participate. So that's what we've been talking to our clients about. Um, is that in the U.S., Scott, through. or
2: is that are you talking about uh, well, globally? Because, well, Matt, we've already seen the run up the there. American- yeah.
5: Yeah, right. You know, and we have and we've we've stuck with them. And I think we're going to and we're going to have some back and forth here, especially uh, whether it's around a Fed meeting or or are we going to have a lot of inflation or not, which is is obviously a key, key question. But, you know, we like emerging markets as well as an asset class. And if you look at China, South Korea, Taiwan, you know, they're going to make up whatever. EM index you're looking at, they're making up the bulk of the market cap, and you know if those if those countries are doing well, which we think they are, uh, dollar's a little lower, commodity prices are up. Uh, we think emerging markets is a good place to be.
1: Scott, what do you expect to hear from Fed Chairman Powell uh, today?
5: Well, I think it's going to be largely uh, status quo, and and what what I believe that means is that. Acknowledging that you know growth has really come back quickly, uh, that we're seeing some higher inflation, that the Fed believes it's transitory, and we certainly believe that uh, inflation is going to decelerate in 2022. Um, I think it's key. You know, the market's going to be hanging on is the Fed talking about potential tapering? And I believe it was a Bloomberg uh, interview I saw with Loretta Mester. And she said, you know, we've been talking about the exit strategy since we had the plan together. So, you know, I I think it's naive to think that the Fed is not talking about what, you know, what the end plan is to to remove some of this accommodation. But, you know, for us, uh, we think it's likely not today. Uh, We think it, it could be at Jackson Hole or it could be in September, something like that. But I think for now, you know, the Fed was all in on these easy policies you know, just really the last meeting. So I, I, I don't think they're going to, you know, make a big turn here in just one one meeting. And it's likely to start to be an easy turn, uh, probably a couple of meetings from now.
2: So what do you think about rates? Does it make sense to you to see the ten-year at one forty-nine? Um, uh, since you know, if the Fed steps out of line at all, it has to be to the hawkish side. It's not like they can get any more dovish. And if they do that. Um, don't you see a sell-off in Treasuries?
5: Well, I, I tell you, Matt. You know, as an old foreign exchange guy and as an equity strategy guy, uh, it, it's it's you know when I think about the growth we expect seven percent this year in the U.S., five point three percent next year. Is is it hard for me to rationalize a sub 150 10 year? It absolutely is. Now we know there's a lot of demand out there for yield, um, you know, negative yield, and that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and negative real yield actually, uh, obviously, as you said, but, um, it is a bit of a mystery. We think it's going to back up a bit, maybe two and a quarter by the end of this year, two and a half by the end of 22. So we, you know, we certainly do expect rates to better reflect the type of economic environment that we think we're in and headed toward.
2: Totally good to get some time with you, Scott. Uh, Always love um, getting insight from you. Scott Wren, Senior Global Market Strategist at Wells Fargo Investment Institute. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973.
1: And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.